Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of Blessed Child Podcast with your host, me, Ren Robot, aka Renee Thomas. This week I have two guests, Misuk, who you have heard on the podcast before, and a new guest, Hakja. Yes, Hakja, that's right, named after the princess herself. But Hakja is a very unique person and she's going to share a lot with us this week. So, Get comfortable. I hope you have a snack or a drink or a journal or you're cleaning or jogging or doing just what makes you happy while you listen to this because we do a deep dive into a lot of work. Hopefully what you take from this episode is a little insight of your understanding of your personal framework of what love means to you. We dive deep into how the toxic theology of the Unification Church framed our viewpoints of love and how we have come so far in undoing those frameworks and how we are still undoing those frameworks. Maybe a little bit of a trigger warning. There's going to be a lot of heavy conversation in this episode. Some of those trigger warnings include systemic adult bullying of children which i would like to call systemic child harassment which can lead to some pretty serious injuries emotionally mentally and physically we are going to be talking about awkward first love traumas and the weird breakups that we go through during the process which is child sex trafficking in the unification church or the matching process as the moonies know it as then we will be talking about purity culture and injuries in a misogynistic sex cult so let's get started and i hope you're ready for it here we go okay so we're talking about relationships and just to start i've been thinking about how we relate to ourselves how we first learn to relate to ourselves versus how we're taught how to relate to others and i feel like in the cult there was a big focus on how we relate to other people we are so conditioned to just focus on that part and I was thinking, like, how do we first learn to relate to others? And I think a big part of it is through the stories that we're told. And you remember, like, the exciting stories. And I just, as a kid, I remember watching, like, so many Disney movies and having, like, that fairy tale princess story in my head. And also, like, hearing my mom talk about how much she loved God and Moon and those stories also feel like a fairy tale because there was they were both like so super idealistic so I was just thinking like to start like I've been just thinking back on how much I focus on my how I related to others because even like these princess stories it was like they're trying to get the prince or you know like Cinderella like I'm trying to be found that story like you need someone to feel like finally you can be loved so it's so other focused this these stories so it was so similar to like what we were taught in the cult I feel like absolutely I feel like Disney was somehow like on par with the unification church every story was like I met a prince it's singing into a well now we're gonna get married or like this guy fell into a coma and then this guy kissed me and now we're gonna get married and I was like yeah that's like the three-day um that's like the matching and blessing like that's how fast that's the same timeline <laughs> so like watch you know hearing the stories in the church and then watching Disney 
it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is reality. Like, this is what we, this is what we know. Like people get married within seconds of meeting each other. Like their eyes, their <laughs> they eyes, fall in love. They fall in love. That's what <laughs> love is. So growing up without the internet and growing up with the rhetoric and the stories we were told in the church, and then also seeing it confirmed by Disney made it very easy to marriage traffic. A lot of people mm-hmm. our age, like thirties, you know, forties. And I feel like Disney's making up for it now. Have you watched the newest movies? Like Frozen? The sisters, they're trying. They oh, are- yeah. Oh, I love Frozen. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're like, you can't marry someone you just met. And I was like, where was, <laughs> where, where was that in the 90s? I love the humor. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. Also, in Canto, they did it again. She's like, I was trying to marry somebody for the family because I wanted to make you guys happy. It's like, you can't do that. That's a big confession. Like, that's not okay. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So Disney is finally redeeming themselves for those. They're trying. Things. Yeah, they're trying. Yeah. And here we are trying to do the same thing, trying to be like, (laughs) hey, guys, okay, the stories that we grew up with were a little whack. Let's make them a little more realistic. (laughs) I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Totally relate. I think it also like teaches you that there's like a soulmate and that you're waiting for some sort of sign, you know, because like in the movies, it's always like, I don't know, you'll see like glitter and sparkles and suddenly you know that they're the one and. I've always heard people in the church like, oh, I think it's a sign from God. Oh, this like, you know, this must mean that God wants this person for me. I dreamt about this person. So now I'm going to marry them. You know, I don't know if you guys have heard that, but there's so many like stories where people are now married because someone had a dream and they were like, must be God. So they must be the perfect person. And then they just go for it and they just try to make it work because it's like this idea that there's only this one perfect person and only God can show you the way. And it has to be this like fairy tale way that you're kind of describing from the movies. That's the only way you can know if you don't get like the glitter and the sparkles and the dreams, then it's probably not the one. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get the butterflies, it's probably not the one. Probably not the one. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So sad. Um, you bring up the dreams just from my own experience. I remember making up dreams so that I could manipulate my parents to let me do like oh I had a dream about uh I don't know something really abstract and then uh, like (laughs) let it sit for a couple days and they'll be like oh I knew what that dream meant and then they'll they'll say what it is I'm like that's exactly right (laughs) 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 so so dreams can be manipulated and dreams are just totally subjective like you can't trust dreams either (laughs) yeah 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 we really gave weight to these like dreams these prayers these spiritual experiences outside confirmation it kind of goes back to your first question how did you get in touch with yourself Mm, how so I, i mean like all of these things that we're saying was exterior like validation and confirmation for like i'm even having trouble formulating my own opinions today like in 2022 um, without somebody else co-regulating or validating something. And I feel like that's conditioning that I got from growing up as a, a unification church member. Um, yeah, I think it's not until things go wrong that like you realize that your reality is not what you thought it was. Like, I don't know how your experiences were like dating for the first time, but like, I thought it was going to be perfect because I already knew everything. I knew divine principle. It was going to (laughs) work. I was going to teach them 
Um, mm-hmm. But then when it doesn't work and like the glass house you're in sh- is like shattering, you're like, mm-hmm. I thought, I thought that A plus B equals C. I thought, like, and it's not, it's not like that. And then you realize you have to rethink so many things because everything like in that relationship is centered around the way you were thinking before when you weren't thinking about yourself and now you have to think about yourself um you know and create all these new rules all these new a a whole new world pretty much you know yeah I I will say like every relationship is different so to try to put a relationship into like an equation like if you do this and this this is gonna be the result we got so used to having those answers like yeah I know and then when it's like every relationship is different because it shows you different parts of yourself and it shows you different parts of that person and just that in and of itself it's like you learned so much just from that relationship I don't know to be told over and over that like there's a method it's so frustrating I've definitely gotten frustrated over that too (laughs) Yeah, um, I. You just need to pray more. Forty day condition. Uh, you just gotta. <laughs> it's, it's so painful to think you have the the formula, isn't it? It's like I I've, I've experienced that so many times in my first relationships where I thought A plus B, which I was A, and then he was B, and then C. Happiness, right? <laughs> happiness and support and solid foundation, and it didn't work out. And um, I think one of the hardest things to realize, and one of the best things that I realized was that I was um, seeking control for something you can't, you can't control someone else. Um, So I was looking for, for control and, and structure in a place that it shouldn't have control. You can only control yourself. And that was a really hard lesson to learn. A really hard lesson to learn, but it was probably the most like a weight being lifted, but I can only control myself. I can't control anybody else. I, I can't. I always try to remind myself like we didn't have control so of course it makes sense in your first relationship that you want to have control like we were always gave the control to somebody else so you know what it's like to like for them to receive that sense of control like it always looks better for them like if you have more control it looks like you're better off it's like a protective thing so I feel like yeah definitely my first relationships I noticed myself and like in the beginning of my relationship I definitely noticed how much I wanted to feel that and just trusting that they know what's best and so you just kind of let them take the wheel because you just think everyone has pure intentions like you (laughs) that's a huge thing yeah Yeah. it's a huge still learning that yeah, I don't too. know if you guys have ever like been with someone in the church, but I was, and <laughs> I thought that meant you know you're safe, you're protected, nothing's ever gonna happen because they're a church member. Mm-hmm. But that's the biggest. That was the biggest life. <laughs> like, uh, uh-uh, no, nothing is safe. Everyone's garbage, basura. Just throw them all away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was the longest I'd ever been single, just because of that. <laughs> Which was only like a year, but no, girl, but still. Mm-mm. 
Um, I noticed that uh, I did date like two two church guys, and like I noticed, like compared to other people, they were so lazy, insecure. <laughs> well, well, like like that's they, they have the same issues we do. Like they weren't empowered. They didn't know their boundaries or their choices or their preferences. So you put two people together that have no idea of themselves, and it's just like really self-destructive. And there's two people that are like gaping black holes that need so much love, and nobody knows where to start. So it was really, <laughs> it was really hard. Um, yeah. So once I had my last, the last time I dated a church guy, I was like, we are so bad for each other, and like it doesn't so. Um, because we're so, so broken and damaged from like a broken theology is really hard to rebuild. Now I commend anybody that is able to do that. I think that's amazing. If you can make a relationship with somebody that grew up in similar situation and make it work, that's awesome. But for me, in my case, I was, I was trash. I, was, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I was in a two and a half on and off relationship. Like my ex was in a, in the cult. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like most of my college years and it was so toxic um I should have broken up with him like the first year the first few months but then it and turned into a two and a half year relationship and Can I know who I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours <laughs> yeah you can bleep his name out later mm-hmm. okay anyways so uh, I dated him for two and a half years like the whole time I was with him, I was trying to wrap my head around, like trying to be with him forever, because obviously that was the expectations from our parents. I was like, I have to be with him forever. And it just made me feel worse and worse. And at the end, like I told my mom, I was like, he does make me happy. And she was like, just try. And I was like, OK, so you don't care about my happiness. Got it. Like, Yeah, but if you make it work, then somehow it's like valid then right is then it's, it's not bad because that's how so many people got matched and blessed because they would date in secret and then mm-hmm. you know if they made it work long enough to get matched or blessed then now it's like it's okay because they got blessed like it doesn't matter it all worked out you know so it's not that if game. it doesn't that's not, not yeah. the end game like there is no end game even in the bad relationships they're so they help you so much like i've probably learned the most out of my quote unquote, bad relationships that have gotten me to where I am today. And like, it wasn't about getting master blessed or what. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know what this tangent is about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so frustrated that it's like, oh, all your suffering is worth it. If you, you know, put a concrete cap on it and call it eternity. Like no, what? <laughs> it's even worse. Okay. I, I know. I've, I realized this last night what it is. I recently told my therapist that my parents were avoiders and I didn't know how to describe it, but I realized a way of saying like, just pray about it or a way of like ending, shutting down an argument, shutting down a fight where you can like express yourself and like resolve things. It was just like, no, you have to do a condition. You have to pray. You have to do something spiritual. And what that was doing is just like shutting down the what was needed to be talked about and putting like a fake band-aid on it and then calling it like done okay like we fixed it and like no you just avoided it and didn't talk about the issue and I realized that's what I mean when I was when I was realizing that my parents avoided everything they just like put some spiritual thing on it and 
now it's doesn't need to be talked about does you don't need to apologize um because i prayed about it so god knows my heart Ooh. like it totally like takes <laughs> takes wow. all the blame yeah and it, it explains why i felt like nothing ever got resolved you know yeah no accountability no conflict resolution no boundaries no reinforcement no like healthy relationship skill building or healthy dynamics I that's my family I'm so so sorry my family if you're listening you know I'm making these podcasts for you but you refuse to listen so I'm gonna call you out um, <laughs> <laughs> um it's, yeah it's just like you're like you can't be yourself you just like hide all your your intentions and your feelings and because uh, they've been crushed so many times and then you just god knows my heart like <laughs> this is god's <laughs> suffering heart. and then it's like, not healthy like yeah. it's I think my my husband's very good with conflict resolution. I think that's why, you know, we work so well together because I was always avoidant, so avoidant. Like I didn't think I would be safe if I voiced a little, you know, un unhappiness or made a or little uncertainty. If I or uncertainty, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, or even just like preferences. Like, oh, I really don't want to go there. I really don't want to talk to God about it. <laughs> <laughs> and fix your heart <laughs> okay he wants chinese food i want japanese i'll just pray about it fix my heart. maybe it's ancestral maybe like maybe we have you know there's a lot there was a lot of war between Jap japan and china so i should probably go eat the chinese food and red and and, and pay indemnity yes <laughs> like these are all the whispers right <laughs> yeah Intrusive oh thoughts, yes. Intrusive thoughts. Okay, anyways, back to conflict <laughs> resolution. It is so healthy to have a little bit of conflict. And, like, know that a little bit of conflict doesn't reflect your self-worth. It doesn't even reflect the relationship. It's just your opinions and their healthy boundaries. And mm -hmm. and I've learned that um, not threatening to destabilize the relationship is very good. Like, when I used to fight in my first relationships, I was like, I was like well, if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to leave you. And then I learned that that is so damaging. If you really want to have a conflict resolution, you don't threaten security and safety. You have to be like, listen, I know we disagree. I'm not going anywhere. If you need to think about it and I need, I need a little bit of time, I'm going to step away from this relationship. But not the relationship, just you. So I can think and marinate my thoughts. The relationship is stable. Know that. Um, I just have some things that I'm thinking about and I will be back. So like I give a time frame. I make mm. sure the relationship is secure. I tell them where I'm at mentally and emotionally and what I, what I need. And like that has changed everything. And I learned that from being super toxic in my first couple of relationships. Threatening stability was a control tactic that I used to manipulate the formula. And it was awful. Yeah, that was me too. Because it's like, also, if they don't check off all the boxes perfectly, then it's like in my brain, it would be like, no, then I can't be with them. It doesn't matter. Like, it has to be exactly like this, you know? So, but I know. So, such unrealistic expectations. Like, we have it like ingrained that if you do this and this, then you deserve this and this. And it's not realistic to put so much onto a person. I think that's like, Sometimes they'll do it though, and then they'll just become resentful, and and then it'll like slowly cause even more problems and more arguing because it's like there's a resentment growing because they're doing things for you, not for themselves. So, 
Yeah, you can't base a relationship off of that. Yeah. Yeah, eventually it's just going to explode and it's going to be damaging. Like when you, I, I learned in my first relationships, if like you're angry, don't direct your anger at some person's, like at their foundation, like directed at like a situation or an action, but don't ever try to tear someone down to their core. And I don't know why I did that so much. Maybe it was like conditioning from the church because they would always tear us down to our core. And like mm-hmm. that, that's what I thought love was because like, oh, if you love somebody, you're going to tear down all their flaws and you're going to make mm-hmm. them see all the shitty things about themselves. And then you're going to pray about it and then you're going to find God's heart and be restored. Like, I think that's how my conditioning worked. Um, do you guys feel like that was sort of relatable or am I, was that my own experience in the church and like how I saw love? I think it makes sense because it's yeah. like you want. Uh, the goal is always to like reach the next level of like spirituality or like enlightenment, so to speak. Right. Um, Especially because we're second gen. It's like the expectation is for us to be so much holier than first gen and like third gen and so on and so forth. Like you just have to be even holier, even better, even more enlightened. So I feel like everything was always about how do I become better? Like, tell me my flaws so I can fix them. Like, I pray to God, like, please, like, tell me so I can, like, <laughs> you know, become mm-hmm. even more enlightened or something like that. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, that's definitely, like, an expression expression of love. Like, to tell someone, like, hey, like, I don't think this is great. You should do better. <laughs> um, so that way you'll become better like me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There was this cutthroat mentality. I remember being so mean in the church and I didn't know why it was because I thought I was loving them. I was like, Oh, you prayed for me to come tell you this is really shitty and you shouldn't be like this anymore. And like, um, because I'm speaking through like God's speaking through me and like, Mm -hmm. I needed to tell you, stop drinking. You're such a failure to your family. Like I was like that, like friendships in the church were, I was bad. It was bad. Yeah. I judged people so hard. So judgmental. Like you, you're going to waste your blessing if you do this and this and this like you need to come back to this and this and this is the standard of ideal families and and just like cutting people down to their core you know like I was yeah just cutthroat and 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 mean um I think it helped protect us from how insecure we felt about our shortcomings that it was like oh but they're doing what they're doing is way worse so I can feel a little better about my shortcomings that I'm like suppressing down you know wow I love how we're like bringing this full circle like you have these little examples that just look so bizarre and psychotic to somebody if you just don't understand the whole situation but we've got these really insecure people with this really extreme theology that have this righteousness of God and then like we're all hiding our inner selves to be this hollow shell of perfection that we're like pretending exists and then Ah, man, it's hard to undo all that. It is like, I'm talking about like all the experiences I'm talking about took me like years, years to realize and and change. So, and you have to remember that in that environment that was like so focused on other people's approval, we had to, like, there was no option. Like we had to become that shell of, uh, like outwardly looking perfect to to feel be- like you belong um so like for me like I 
get so frustrated but I also have to tell myself like that's what we had to do to feel love like that was how we taught we were taught like that's how you get love that's how you feel love you have to only focus on other people and you have to shut down like all your negative feelings and you just have to be it I tell myself this a lot I've been realizing this um I'm a perfect mirror I feel like I've just been a mirror to people over and over in so many of my relationships not like romantic relationships just like most of my relationships even when I dance I do social dancing and there's always a lead and a follow and basically the follow's job is just to be super present and just listen to these like very small cues for a split and react with your whole body and like for me like I noticed how much I love doing that it brings me so much joy but now I'm I'm including myself in that connection and I'm not and I'm letting go of feeling like I'm just reacting to this person and I like to think like I'm creating this whole movement from this one single cue like I'm creating that and I'm trying to give myself that power back instead of just reacting reacting to the other person yeah that's, does that make sense yeah yeah it does reframing the way you view yourself it's not I mean that's a really a difficult thing to do first of all like the dancing that you do I've seen it it's fantastic it's definitely creative and it takes a lot of emotional and and body intelligence to do what you do even if it's just you know framed as following it's not just following you are creating something with somebody and I think it's something to be celebrated for sure. Like it's your talent. Thanks. And um, yeah, I could never because I remember watching me suck dance. And I was just <laughs> like, how? And I was just like, because first of all, it's like my mom always made me feel like that kind of dancing was bad. Like, because we're Hispanic, so but you can't dance Hispanic because Hispanic people are so central sensual provocative like I wasn't allowed to get bangs because bangs are called like roba corazón which means like steal a heart (laughs) (laughs) I don't know I was like I can't move my body like that because it feels like I'm doing something bad (laughs) Mm -hmm. I definitely feel that even with ballroom dancing I could never look in the eyes of my partner and you know for salsa you have to look in their eyes and people would get so mad at me and I'm like I can't (laughs) it's wrong (laughs) and yeah just step all over people's feet so (laughs) (laughs) no I feel you I practiced a lot and I think for me it helped that I first started ballroom dancing in a church environment so it felt like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone was super awkward. Maybe that also helped. Everyone was super awkward. Didn't know how to, like, sweaty palms. Just, like, <laughs> just bad. And I feel like I learned, I just watched people. I watched people, like, most of them were in the church. And I watched how they try to look confident. And I, I felt like that's how I started. Like, I was just like pretending to be confident, but really, like, I'm really shy. When I talk about it, I was like, I couldn't even talk about it. But yeah, I think 
that's what helped me and i feel like just with any so, sort of expression like dancing is just a language and like i learned the language but i noticed myself like when i'm dancing i feel super confident and then as soon as i'm like sitting down i feel the complete opposite i one time i i, I had an edible but i was like i noticed so much like the difference that and how my body feels like I felt so confident because I was so co comfortable with that language and that form of expression but as soon as I switched to like talking or like making eye contact like it's it's a different language you know like mm -hmm. any form of communication well yeah I want to bring it back to your how you opened um is that how do you relate how did you find a way to relate to yourself it sounds like it's with the body the the body language and the and the dancing was a good way for you to even communicate with your body which is really important that's something I feel like we weren't grown up to take cues from our body like oh if you're feeling anxiety it's evil spirits it's not you like oh if you're feeling you know a certain way it's like it our own feelings were made to be even an outside outside source does that make sense I don't know if I'm wording that right but like any feelings we had it must not be from us. It must be from like evil spirit world or spirit world wants us to do something. Or how did you like close the distance between your body and your mind? Yeah, I think I have to start like, well, culturally, like I grew up in Brazil and there like music and dance is very common. It's part of like, it's part, it was part of school. And like, I did go to a, a Mooney school but it was a mix of like local um, community kids and half of it was like Japanese kids and like people from everywhere. Um, so we did have like the Brazilian culture in it. And I feel like seeing that expression of dance from a young age, like I feel like I always loved dancing and I, I think that that was partly like a cultural influence because the church definitely it had a the church had like a music influence but it didn't have like a body connection thing and I think I turned to dancing to feel control over my body because I feel like I couldn't have control over anything else so it felt good to have control over my own body at least yeah, but in, in terms of learning how to really connect with myself, I feel like dance in the beginning was just to feel control and it's evolved now into me realizing how much of an art it is like over the past few years. Like in the cult, it was like kind of like my cry for attention and my cry for, yeah, I think for attention. But I realized after my therapist told me a lot of times, like, attention isn't bad. Wanting attention is not bad. And I feel like in the cult, we were taught to feel so guilty about it. Um, so I think, yeah, it helped me learn so much and process so much since I've continued to dance, like, years after. I think that's so fascinating that it was, it was kind of like your therapy and your self-soothing in the cult because that's where you could be free to be yourself a little bit in your body and then it's grown to you know regaining control and then finally once it's in your vocabulary and you understand the language to expression 
like the final art form, just being free to express. I love that. I feel like that's such an evolution. Um, and that's, that's really cool. I feel the same way with, with art too, in the same chronological order, actually. So it's really interesting that we both kind of experienced that, that we had like a, a creative outlet to, to guide us through and get us out of, of, a, mm-hmm. of a really controlling environment. Yeah, to express yourself, because I feel like using words, leaving the cult is not always the easiest thing to do in the beginning. You know, and that's the thing about trauma. Like, I have such a hard time explaining it to people, but I feel like it really shakes your sense of trust and your sense of reality, you know. Um, And it's not something you can just put into words in the beginning because it's such a strong feeling that it's like, I don't know. Sometimes it's safer not to know the danger that you're in until you're out like it's better to not know that's how your mind protects itself yeah Yeah, that's how I felt for a long time um and it was only my creativity that like allowed me to see the danger but I would still not acknowledge it I was like "Hmm, I wonder where that came from that looks really really dark (laughs) and only until (laughs) yeah years later I'm like oh I was in it (laughs) like that was that was me in it you know expressing that and but, but not mm. cognitively being able to like be like oh. name it. Yeah, I was like living in a really dangerous situation with people that were hurting me. Like <laughs> um, when mm. I was hurting myself, and you know, yeah, the mind has certain ways that it protects itself. And then try try to get into relationships with that kind of like dissonance. Oof. I love that song Thank You Next by Ariana Grande because I do celebrate all the little relationships even though they didn't work out. Oh my God. Some of them that didn't work out were the best thing that could have happened to me. And (laughs) if any of my exes are listening, thank you. They did a lot of work. (laughs) We did a lot of work and they did too. Like, you know, you're just learning uh, when you come out of an extreme cult and it, it can be hard learning about consent I think we talked about that in the last podcast but it was really interesting to switch from like being controlled in in a cult to the consent mentality and empowering others that's probably some of the most healing things and then also what we talked about earlier in this episode is like not hurting somebody not tearing them down to their core stuff like that it's like really real steps it's hard to name unless you come together like this to reflect on it I think Mm -hmm. Definitely. Oh, also the fairy tale mentality that we talked about with the Disney princesses. Oh, I know. That's why I hate my name because they were always like, "Oh, your name is Hakta, like Hakta Han." So you must grow up to be like a princess, just like your mother, and you're gonna have to do important things. And I think that's probably why I was always so involved in the church because they always told me like, "This is your destiny. Like you're supposed to become." Um, this like I don't know super important person and just do these important things and change the church forever I don't know that's a lot of pressure for a kid that's a lot of pressure for a kid yeah but I did it until they kicked me out (laughs) so that's their loss I could I would have kept going I would have kept going if they didn't do that but they did. So I think that was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. 
people are so replaceable in the cult. It's like a slap in the face. Mm -hmm. I was so involved for years, even after I mentally left. And then as soon as I left, like, it didn't mean anything. All my volunteering, all the hours I spent at church, it was just Mm -hmm. for nothing, like, for myself, basically. No, because people forget about you, too. And once you stop doing all those things that made you so important, now you're suddenly a bad guy. Now you're like, oh, she didn't have enough faith. Oh, it's because she went to college. Oh, it's because she hangs out with other people from outside the church. (laughs) Right. I'm sorry. This is all new to me. How many years did you do as a youth pastor? I was a youth pastor only for two years. That's but a long time. Hold, hold up, only, only. Yeah, <laughs> let's take the only out of there. <laughs> you were a youth pastor for two years of your life. Girl, that's a long time. Like, how but often were you guys meeting? Every week, but Ooh. every day I had to work on it and create content and plan things. And I use like literally all my free time for the church because, wow. yeah. But it was. <sighs> They didn't pay you. Just make. Oh no, sure. definitely not. <laughs> wow. And I guess you can bleep this name out, but yeah, I don't know if you guys know EJ. <laughs> of course, I know Uncle EJ. He oh. uh, took credit for everything that I did for the longest time. Wow, what a and dude. so I wasn't really receiving any like they were just like oh she's just president of the youth organization or something right and then. Uh, and then I found out about and then she was like no everything you're doing is actually like youth pastor and you know uh, we actually have meetings for this and we have stuff and support and I was like oh I don't know like nobody told me they were just using me to build up the church from scratch because that church was a new church and they didn't have a youth group yet so mm -hmm. I did all the work you did and then they just tore it down (laughs) and and yeah, and then now it's garbage. And now they don't really have a youth group. Ever since they did that to me, they haven't had it. And they've tried to get me to come back. They've sent wow. their apologies. They've sent everything that they could. But I'm like, after all the death threats, I mean, y'all can't really say sorry anymore. <laughs> death threats? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Okay. And these are people that raised me, you know, pretty much. People that were like my second parents, people who I grew up around and suddenly everyone's talking trash and saying the worst possible things. This and you is know why? Big... You know why? Because we didn't have an Ilshan program yet and I wanted to start an Ilshan program. And I had a discussion with the pastor there and I was saying how like, like it was just like a one-on-one, right? Like with the pastor, me, well, and his wife. And I was sharing how important it was for me to for this to go well because they were really like wanting the parents to be the staff and to be in charge of everything. And I was telling them like, you know, how important it is because I was like, when I was younger, I didn't take, I took this for granted. I wasn't really paying attention, but at least it was like a time to share and to talk. But um, if there are adults there, they're not going to open up. They're not going to share Um, And I was telling them how important it was to get older second gen to be a part of it. And then somehow they misconstrued that as like, oh, she doesn't believe in Ilsham. She doesn't believe in the blessing. And she doesn't, she's a bad influence to our kids. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And 
obviously that was supposed to be in secret. That was supposed to be like a one-on-one conversation, but no, um, they told EJ, <laughs> who was their second in command and he spread it and the wife spread it to her group of circle of friends, which were like, you know, the moms who pretty, pretty much raised me. And then it just became so bad that the different districts surrounding New Jersey, they all like talked to me and they were all like, we think you have to step down because it was getting so bad that parents were pulling kids out of youth group. Um, kids were arguing with their parents, like in defense of me. It was just this whole thing. And I was like, yeah, I, I have to step down for their sake. And for years, like I didn't tell them. They just knew that I left and I abandoned them, but I couldn't ever have the heart to tell them, yeah, your parents are garbage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? seriously. Yeah. So these parents were throwing their kids at you for years, um, holding you accountable for raising their children while they mm-hmm. would do whatever the hell, not raising their own children. And then they got mad at you when you wanted to have like, like to actually talk with them about, I mean, I don't support the Ilshin program. I understand where your heart was though. Sorry, that sounds so moony. Um, I, it was back then. It's different, you know. Now it's no, different. But your intentions home. were, you know, thinking of them and the parents were just like focused on themselves. Like, what the hell? And mind you, this Elizabeth community is a very tight-knit community um, with like a lot of Filipinos, Latinos, like probably the most diverse church community, I think. Yeah, it's not just Japanese and Korean members. It's like yeah, all the Which other is minorities. Also, why you get treated like trash because it's a minority group. So right in the yeah. in the church hierarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want this to be on the podcast? So. Oh, it's up to you because I, I know it's not really relevant <laughs> oh no 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 this no, is pro- it, because the the last podcast I dropped specifically targeting like a, a specific town uh it went around like like a hot cake like everybody listened to it in that community <laughs> so oh. <laughs> if one person in New Jersey finds out that you were talking about this then everybody's gonna listen to the podcast so it's a really good um hook line and singer to get them to hear whatever you want to say for the last years of shit that they did to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think you deserve this platform. And yes. I just, you. it's like, it doesn't even matter because I've already been persecuted. Yeah. Um, by the church so many times that it's like, it doesn't matter. They already think I'm horrible. They already have been talking trash and saying the worst possible things as if I haven't known them their whole entire lives. And that's fucked up. I love them so much, but I that have really to tell hurts. the truth. Yeah. That really hurts. Damn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you were you were taking responsibility for all these kids where, where nobody else would take responsibility. You, you were probably there for these kids in their darkest moments of confusion. Parents, too. Parents, too. Parents. Even oh. the parents. Yeah. you were parenting everyone then. yeah you were parenting everyone and then just because you wanted a little you know you wanted to do things your own way which you were entitled to you are the president of the youth group that wasn't getting paid and doing all <laughs> this content creation every week for two years and then you were pushed out because i think ej's name deserves to be dropped because yeah 
I know that he's going to find out because he finds out about everything and he'll spread it like a wildfire. Well, he has no life for that. And I'll say it. Yeah, I know him. I know EJ. What's his full name? Emiljan Rapata. (laughs) There we go. There we go. (laughs) Got to take some accountability. (laughs) Anybody that's a leader, like I'll drop their name on this podcast. Because because he blatantly like used um, you used your name yeah he labor trafficked you you were labor trafficked by this man and And then then he he took took all your credit credit? Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he does that to everybody not even just second gen he literally will use people to gain status all the time and 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 i know he knows to some degree because at some point years later he apologized to me like very vaguely but he did so i know he knows you know And like, this isn't just some, you know, innocent little youth group. Let me ask you, how many of these kids that you, you know, helped shepherd, how many of them went to a a gap year of missionary work and fundraising for the church? Uh, They were pretty young. So most of them that like are even old enough to do that are like, they're old enough now, like this year. And that would be maybe like three or four of them. Not too many because, you know, after years of, like not running it now it's like all um like non-existent like the youth group program so it's a little different now only but. three or four that's still a lot like if that's you take still a lot yeah take it in context like i made twenty five thousand dollars on my gap year so if there's four of them that's a hundred thousand dollars for the church if they're in gpa they're making more because of inflation um mm-hmm. i know gpa was making a million dollars a year last year so with a hundred kids so i mean even four kids it's a lot so it is exploitation. It's a chain of command, like you use leadership and then that goes. And I, I hate to bring it out to this kind of picture, but it is ultimately like labor trafficking humans. So it's important to call out the leaders and call it for what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I was, no, the, no, you know. It, no, it's true. It's fine. And even back then, my parents would always say that, like, you're not a babysitter. They can't expect you to become, like, a babysitter for all their kids. Because it wouldn't just be, like, like let's say, majority of it was, like, let's say, preteen, 11, 12, 10. But then there were the five-year-olds, the three-year-olds the, that I was, yeah, yeah. And they would just drop them off. And they wouldn't drop them off at the right time. They would drop them off early. And then they would not even pick them up and people had to drive them home. Like me and the other older second gen had to drive everybody home every single week. Yeah. Uh, they were, crazy. they were leaving toddlers with you. Mm-hmm. You were a daycare. Yeah. You're a free daycare. Free daycare. Pretty much. Even kids that were like autistic and things like that too. And they would just dump them. <laughs> To do what? How old were you when that was happening? I was 16 when I became youth pastor. (laughs) And how old are you now? 24 now. (laughs) I just turned 24. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. They were exploiting your labor. They gave you a title and they didn't pay you. They gave you a bullshit title in the cult. This is a really common tactic where you'll give somebody some type of leadership role to keep them you know, in the cult, accountable for whatever they, a cult role they want you to run, but then totally like exploit you. 
like completely, you were completely exploited. And then, and then when you got a little bit of your own voice, they smashed you and kicked you out. You weren't even, you didn't even lose faith. Is that correct? No, not yet. <laughs> you didn't lose faith until they like, because now you're here on this X Mini podcast. Awesome. <laughs> welcome. I'm just like, I'm just yes, so, welcome. I'm so angry for you. Yeah. Honestly, it was just the drama of it wasn't so bad. But like, what hurt the most was that I felt like I had to leave and abandon all my kids that were relying on me. Yeah. And I got messages from them for years like, when are you coming back? Why aren't you here? Like, are you coming? Like, we miss you. And just, you know, mm-hmm. I would just be like, oh, I have college. I'm just busy. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I I could never go back. So. Yeah. And even if I went to the other church in Clifton, now I'm the crazy person. Now I'm the problematic person. Now I'm the, <laughs> you know, like people look at me different when I'm around my small group because mm, she's a little off. <laughs> so. Just for speaking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a registered nurse with like a CPR, you know, I have B- BLS, ACLS, all that stuff. I still wouldn't trust myself as a daycare with however many kids you had. Like, to- like I'm qualified. I still don't feel qualified. You were 16 years old um, and given responsibility way, way out of your scope. You can't run a daycare with, how- did you have any help? Was it just you? It depends because technically there were people that were helping, but sometimes they would get angry at the whole situation of it. And then they would be just as difficult. (laughs) I love them, but you guys were difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like this is not safe. This is not safe practice. Like if one of the kids started I mean, because it was difficult. (laughs) Yeah, it was difficult. And and that wasn't you. That wasn't your choice. Like these grownups put that on you. Like who's dropping off a three-year-old and a five-year-old with a 16-year-old and all these other kids? Like that's not safe. First of all, that's not safe. Yeah. There were like... 40 kids usually like that was like our average sometimes more sometimes less but it was not even a small youth group it was because the way the church organizes youth groups it's like by size so I was like in the middle size not like the large ones but the middle ones so yeah it was like a good number of kids and you said they drop them off early and pick them up late what were the time frames there Oh my god um I don't remember when youth group was supposed to start to be honest it was probably something like six or seven but parents wouldn't come um until like if they came they would come like 11 p.m maybe 12 like um what is that yeah no and where was this someone's house no we had some little space above like a dollar general <laughs> oh yeah i've been to that church okay. yeah. yeah it's a yeah. like a second floor room big room um, yeah that's it <laughs> not that big when there's like a whole bunch of kids running around but yeah yeah that's not big enough for 40 kids that's a mm, lot yeah. From six o'clock to eleven, what the hell were the parents doing? Like nobody, I I would never drop off my kids. I would never drop off my kids. First of all, with a (laughs) sixteen-year-old at a youth group, and I would never leave them past 
10 o'clock anywhere. Like it's bedtime. <laughs> what, what is this lack of responsibility and accountability? Yeah. It didn't even matter. Like it was like for everything. It wasn't just for a youth group. It was to all the events, anything, anything that the church was doing, they'd always ask our families for rides. And we'd have to like wow. bring all these children with us everywhere we went. Oh and then God. drop them off all home, come back home super late. So yeah. And sometimes I would walk. I w- I used to sometimes walk back home from youth group and that was like a 45 minute walk. What? That's and so I'm from far. Elizabeth. I know Elizabeth. Girl, <laughs> that's not a safe town like that. Nope. Like my friend got jumped there. And they took her I'm, bag. I'm surprised I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I seriously. Would, I would just sing and like make myself look crazy. Like sing at the top of my lungs and no oh my one God. Me. <laughs> I did that too. Wow. Make <laughs> ourselves look crazy. That was a tactic. Yeah. Make our, yeah. I would just talk to myself and start picking up my skin and stuff uh, mm-hmm. in Bridgeport. Usually people would mm-hmm. think. <laughs> oh, she, wow. <laughs> she a little off. <laughs> Well, Hakta, you're not crazy. I think you rightly have rightfully have a lot of emotions about this situation. It was really unfair and unjust, and it shouldn't have never happened to you. And I'm sorry that you feel like you lost your family and your friends in this whole this whole experience. And you did, did you did your best. You did right by these kids. I'm sure you still live on in their hearts with whatever you did with them and for them. And Even if they can't name it because they're still caught up in. Yeah, and it's it's not right that there's all this drama around how you were kicked out. But it's for so them, you know. No matter if they feel some type of way of their saying stuff, it's like I feel like we've all been through that point where we saw someone leave and we thought all the worst thing. Yeah. But like it's those people that you later on are like, wait, like they had a point and then you you know, you figure things out for yourself exactly so i mean i just worry about them because they're such Mm -hmm. great kids you know and now they're going to gpa now they're becoming youth leaders now they're running things yeah so Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. well hopefully this podcast episode spreads and if you are a youth pastor listening to this like you demand like like you deserve payment (laughs) you deserve (laughs) the basic human rights of not being exploited and being respected. Your opinion deserves to be heard. Grownups shouldn't be talking about you behind your back. First of all, that's bad leadership. If you have a problem with somebody and you're in leadership, you need to take them behind closed doors and speak with them privately and respect their autonomy and respect them as a human. That's called good leadership. Yeah. Those are everything that you've told us in this, this story is just a reflection of terrible toxic leadership and terrible parenting and lack of accountability and that's that's what i hear from the story so and the way they felt entitled to treat you that way and treat people that way and like it was all right because it was like they're still spiritual mm-hmm. they just avoid all their own is- their own issues and then feel completely comfortable calling someone out and calling people names in public yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. And I mean, this does wrap up to our first point of how how we would cut people down to their core in public because we thought we had God's word behind us. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like a whole loops back to just a toxic theology, a toxic community that trickled down from the bigger scale of community and child rearing to individual relationships. Like it was. I think I know what I want to call it. Avoidant spirituality. Ooh. Or spiritual avoidance. Oh my God. Spiritual bypassing. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Yeah. No, that's exactly what it was. Like, I, I, you know, it was a roundabout way, but I think all of these are examples in and of themselves of the same thing. It's just a lack of social skills, lack of relationship skills, lack of, you know, conflict resolution. There was conflict, but there was no resolution. It was done in a roundabout way to get you out of the group and, and damage so many people in a, in, in the way that it went. Mm Mm-hmm. Tolerance for verbal and social abuse, like yeah, who's talking about a sixteen-year-old as a as a parent, a sixteen-year-old that has taken care of my children? If I had an issue with my babysitter, I'm not going to spread rumors like wildfire. I'm going to go talk to my babysitter. <laughs> but I of didn't course, even pray about it. No forty-day condition, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, I didn't. At least they could have done for me is a condition. Okay, <laughs> truly. So yeah. I do have questions. How, when was it that you finally was like, okay, I don't believe in this anymore after that experience? Honestly, that year was just kind of the worst year ever because all the worst possible things happened. Um, aside from that, you know, the, the reason I even became youth pastor anyway was because the person I was dating, um, I encouraged them to go to GPA. And then while they were there, they were like, you know, they really need a leader. And I think you could be that leader. And then I became a youth pastor for them. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, like, after all that, like, mm-hmm. I found out that he, that he, he was only pretending the whole time. And that, for a whole year of our relationship, um, apparently we weren't even together, but he was still talking about marriage. So that was very confusing. And then, so that also tore me down after that. And then I started college and then, you know, the worst possible thing that can happen to a girl. And then that happens. And then I lose all my friends and I get just and then, you know, so I was just empty, empty, empty. So I couldn't, I couldn't, even if I wanted to, like, I felt like whatever connection I had, like spiritually, it was just cut off, it was gone. And so I had to learn how to cope without Mm -hmm. it. Because it was gone. Everything was gone. (laughs) You literally lost everything. Everything, everything I ever cared about, everyone I loved, everything. I had no reason for anything anymore. That's a lot of grief. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable and coming on and sharing all that stuff. Uh, I I feel like you're in the same place I was a while, a while ago. I'm just like sweating. Yeah. If you want to take a break, you can you can go cry. We could stop. Like I I feel like I was yeah. there in your place where you feel like you have nothing and you're building it from scratch and. It's a real place. Yeah. Just we're just it's here for been, you. It's been six years. It's been six years. So I mean, yeah. I just 
I just have this thing that when I share, I shake and I sweat. But it's like I talk about this all the time with anyone and everyone. It's like almost an ongoing joke about how tragic my life is. So mm. you've got a lot but of trauma. You gotta find a way to talk about it, even if yeah. it's jokes. Yeah. So I yeah. do it too. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? I just I had to really unlearn that like everything happens for a reason mentality or like the pain made you stronger mentality. Oh god. Nope, nope, nope. Like now I'm very anti (laughs) the trauma made you stronger. It's like I think a lot of people would have just you know, like I think I think I had to have been a little strong to have been doing all that. Yeah. I'm Brazilian too, so you know. No, it's okay. It's a trauma response. Girl, I used to, last year when I first started the podcast, I would shake a lot. I would shake every like meeting and me. Really? We oh yeah. And we were, remember the support group just started. I would be like covered in blankets and um, jackets and just oh, shaking yeah. and talking. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But look at me now. I'm not shaking. I'm still cold, but I'm not shaking. <laughs> <laughs> and I've talked a lot, hours and hours of like support group and therapy. And then this podcast, I can tell you that trauma lives in the body like we know that and these experiences are so strong like that you've had such a survival you have you had to release so much survival uh like energy to stay to be where you are and so that's stored in your body and when you talk you're just releasing just a little bit of it and there's so much left in there but eventually if my life it could be an example it does find a way out and and there will be some calm. Like I'm finally finding some calm. I'm sure there's some things I could talk about that will make me shake again because there's just so much energy there. But hopefully, you know, allowing yourself to talk about it. Like we're here, we're, we're listening. I hear you. I validate your, sp- your experience. And I think it's awful what happened. And I think that there deserves to be some accountability and, and all the parents in New Jersey community you guys need to take a good look at yourselves. If this is what you're doing to children, this is not okay. Absolutely not okay to put somebody 16 years old in this kind of responsibility to give them this kind of pressure and then to talk so much crap and tear them down to their core. That is not okay. That is yeah. not. You can't call yourself a church community and then do that. And then you, do this to can't. children. No, Mm-mm. it's not okay. Yeah. Like, like this community, like Nisa said too, like it's really like everybody knows everyone from like when you're born, like everyone relies on everyone. And I don't know, it was just, it was just so weird. It's just like, didn't you babysit me all my life? <laughs> didn't you make me food all my life? I don't know. It was just weird. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. What an episode, part one of part two. A lot of the stories that we're hearing, you know, there's there's this theme that there's bullying happening from the top down. And in this episode, we kind of uncovered why that framework would be so popular. And I believe we've discovered it. It is that in the Unification Church, bullying and abuse is framed as love and defeating Satan and getting rid of fallen nature. So with that kind of framework, you can get a lo- you can get away with a lot of mean, abusive things, especially to young children who can't advocate for themselves because they don't know any other framework. 
So if you take anything from this episode, take that. Um, there's a lot of undoing to be done when you have that kind of framework. I mean, the Invocation Church justified genocide to me, and, and that's what the, the that's a whole different topic. But if it can justify abuse of the masses and murder and so much more, then there's something wrong at the core with this whole entire community. It's a lot of undoing and it starts with us. If you hear toxic rumors in the Unification Church or anywhere, you know, it's a choice to participate. I hope that listening to these stories of bullying gives you the courage and strength not to participate and to stop abuse where you see it. And uh, we'll continue talking in the next episode. I commend these brave survivors for coming on Blessed Child Podcast and sharing so openly. If, uh, if you know them, reach out and give them some support. It takes a lot of courage to do this. And tune in next week when we drop the second half. I'll talk to you again.